Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 64, um, in which I speak with Sharon Lamb and um, publisher Murdoch Stevens. Um, the topic of our conversation, of course, is um, Sharon Lamb's amazing novel, Lonely Asian Woman. Um, Murdoch Stevens is the publisher of that um, and we spoke with um, Sharon and Murdoch about that whole process of getting the book to actuality. Um, Sharon's writing is just stunning and I highly recommend it. Um, I first came across her um, work in Starling magazine and since then um, she's published in Salient, The Pantograph Punch, Headland and Turbine and um, her work's also been read on Radio New Zealand and has appeared um, in vending machines as part of an amazing arts project in Auckland. So yeah, um, it was a wonderful conversation, it's a wonderful book, I highly recommend it and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks. Kia ora Murdoch. Kia ora. Hey Sharon, how are you? Good. Awesome. You. Awesome. Um, the three of us are sitting up in Rebel Press and it is in the Trades Hall here in Wellington and it's very nice and this is where Sharon's book was made. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. Does it bring back happy memories? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The machines were really fun to use. Yeah. yeah, I like I like these machines as well. Um, sorry, we're going to leap around. Murdoch, do you want to talk a little bit about why Sharon might know how to make a book now? Like why Sharon might um, have used the machines? Do you want to talk a little bit <laughs> yeah, about sure. Lawrence and Gibson? Um, so Lawrence and Gibson, it's had various names. I think now we just call it Lawrence and Gibson Publishing. Ooh. But back in the day when we were younger and cooler, we called it the Lawrence and Gibson Publishing Collective and Multipurpose Cooperative Society. Because I saw that on a sign in India once and I was like, well, I like it. That's ambitious. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's a, an organization that's a loose cooperative, which works on a project by project basis. So when there's a book that we want to publish, we being myself and some of the other people who have been active recently, uh, we work with the author um, all through the process, but particularly in the process of actually printing, splicing, uh, guillotining, and binding, and then guillotining again, the book. So it keeps costs down and also creates a nice camaraderie um, amongst everyone. Yeah, it sounds really great. How, how many hours did it take, Sharon, to make your book? Um, how many hours did it take? Uh, we did it over three periods. Three periods. Um, so on the Sunday when... Yeah. So pro- let's say maybe... Uh, it's so hard to know. Because like, it's different. At most there were five people working in here for about three hours on the Thursday night. So Thomason and Brennan. Awesome. And then we had a little break. But I was also in here for a day before just pressing print com- like, compulsively. <laughs> but then it took a little while. You and I um, and other folks. Yeah. A few hours that day, I don't, it went really quick. It didn't feel like very long. It yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you? So before there was anything to print, you mm. needed to write a book. Yeah. Do you want to talk, or are you able to talk a little bit about where the where the book started? Maybe yeah. for starters, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I guess if we go back to twenty sixteen, end of twenty sixteen, it was my last year of architecture school. Um, and I was like, oh crap, what do I do next? Cause, you know, um, and then, so towards the end of the year, I applied for, yeah, the MA in Creative Writing at the IIML. 
just cause, you know, just cause I thought, why not? I can delay getting a job another year if I do get in. But um, it was kind of tricky because I hadn't done any creative writing since like high school. And like I had to like write a little portfolio and there wasn't much that I could put in it. And I wrote, I like put in bits and like they were all very incomplete. So I was like, this is an excerpt from a longer piece, but there was like nothing else. <laughs> it was just those few pages. Um, but anyway, but um, I ended up getting in, which was like very exciting. I was like, cool. And then so, yeah, I accepted. And then, yeah, that's where the book started, but not until because anyone who's done the MA will know that we start with like the writing exercises to start off with and those aren't necessarily part of the manuscript and I had no idea of what I wanted to write right up until we finished the exercises like awesome. I knew I wanted to write a novel but about what I had no idea so I kind of just like yeah I, I didn't really know I just started writing yeah that sort of shows the complete success of the exercises in a way yeah like, yeah to yeah. go in with a loose idea almost mm -hmm. seems like a really good strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I just, you had had some work published in Starling, though, eh? Yes. Yeah. Because that's yes. where I met you first day, eh? yes. was maybe recording. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were beautiful. Yeah, they were weird. They yeah. Were, didn't make, really make much sense. <laughs> I, think, I think that's my, uh, I think that's my zhuzh. I really <laughs> like this one. I really like weird. So you come to the end of the MA. So that finishes yeah. around October or November, mm -hmm. and you have a thing. Yep. And yep. then um, I guess some people make some comments on it, and it comes back mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? So after that, um, I didn't look at it for a while because it was like, um, yeah, just needed some distance for a bit. But um, I knew that it needed a bit more work. I also knew that the publisher that's normally attached to the that program was not very interested mm -hmm. so I knew that yeah I knew that as well and then I was also trying to find a job then I'm looking for a job um, and that was unsuccessful so I was kind of just like uh, working at Little Penang and then working on my manuscript um, and yeah part-time part tutoring at the architecture school as well and yeah, just doing those things like bits and pieces here and there and then finally it got to a point where I felt like it was ready to like send out and stuff and yeah and I'd been reading yeah Brandon Finn's books I'd read Milk Island I was pretty much just in like the New Zealand fiction section being like how did where did these people go and stuff and that's how I yeah and then I just emailed Lawrence Gibson and then yeah the rest is history. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Um, can I go back just one wee step? Um, so were you, it sounds like you were working a lot and I know, it, you know, I, I have a job that is a whole bunch of little mm -hmm. jobs making up one mm -hmm. job and that can be really um, time limiting. Mm -hmm. How were you approaching the rewrite of the novel? Right, yeah. That's actually funny because like, uh, the first half of like that year when I was looking for a job I was like just on the benefit and I while I was looking for a job and I had heaps of free time then like heaps but I was also like real depressed yeah <laughs> so I didn't actually get much writing done in that period but then once I got my part-time jobs and I was like getting out of the house more and then my mindset was like a lot better and then that's when I kind of was actually able to do a lot of the rewriting yeah, so for me it actually helped to have like some other bits and pieces, like more work, like a bit more busyness. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and can I ask one more question? This is totally a selfish question because I'm trying to deal with this myself at the moment. Like, how do you hold an entire world, an entire novel in your head while you're sort of correcting sentence by sentence? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, your book is beautiful on a sentence by sentence thing and that seems to propel you but then it holds together as a structure as well can you talk a little bit about that might be a silly question yeah i think for me the hard bit with the structuring that all happened during the ma year and at that point i had like get bits of pieces on the paper and i was like rearranging and stuff but when i was like rewriting it was very much page by page great like i did take it very line by line like or at least paragraph after paragraph to see how the words were working and stuff like that. And I guess, and I'm kind of thinking, like, this might be the, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but writing without sort of a publisher might have actually been quite a freeing kind of thing Mm. as far as, did you, is Mm -hmm. that, is that like sort of a silly idea, but? No, I thought so, I thought so. Yeah, Yeah. and then to find Brannerman's work and Thomason's work, yeah, that must have been amazing. Yeah. They're really incredible books. Yeah. So you sit at home and you've got a Word document and or mm-hmm. PDF maybe even. Who knows? And you <laughs> email it to Lawrence and Gibson. Murdoch, you receive, I don't know, do you receive a lot of submissions in a year? It's like whenever there's press around us, then we receive quite a few. So they strangely come in lumps. I don't yeah. know if we've, uh, maybe we've had one this year. Um, yeah, let's say like... Maybe one or two a month. Mm-hmm. So when Sharon's book arrived, what, like, do you, did you send a blurb about it or anything like that? Or did I? I can't remember. Not that yeah, I remember. I can't remember. It must have been hi, got a Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or hi, Lawrence and Gibson. I think it was. And did it always have the same title? No, so ah. during the MA, yeah, it was called What to Expect. That's right. Yeah. I remember yeah. seeing you read. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was also a great title, but the new title is even yeah. better. So you, do you remember, like, what it was that made you think, ah, I like this a lot? It was in two, two parts, because I think I was in Portugal when it arrived, and I was working on some of my own writing. Um... And I'd had a conversation with Branavan, who was looking after the home front, if you will, of Lawrence and Gibson Publishing distribution and other multi-purpose activities. And he said he'd met Sharon and some of her friends at a writers' festival somewhere or at something. Bran's been doing; he's been busy. Yeah. Um, and he said, oh, "It sounds like it's probably um, quite a good book, from what I know about it." And so I read the first page, and I think it was the first line. I was like. Yeah, this is us. Um, there was definitely a mention of tofu in there. Yep. <laughs> uh, big tofu fan, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, and then I sat on it for a while because I was doing my own work and yeah. I, I just didn't have the time to read the whole thing. But I sort of, I think I'd been in touch after reading mm. that a little bit. Said, uh, hey, we love it. We probably want to work with you, no promises, but probably. I'm going to read it when I get some time. And so then I think I was traveling around by train and I, I tried to romanticize it. Dear Sharon, I am now on a series of transcontinental trains. train. <laughs> it might have been in Bulgaria or Paris or uh, in France or somewhere like that. And then I got through it and I was like, yeah, really early on. Because mm. like, we have a very 
specific style of fiction we publish. And it was very clear really early on that Sharon's book um, fitted perfectly. It really is a fantastic thing. Um, can you, this is, we're all over the place tangential wise, can you talk a little bit about um, that balance of being a writer and a publisher? Like, I'm really interested in that because I think some of my favourite writers, including you and Branavan and, you know, like Jackson Newlin and Caro, they seem, you, you seem very comfortable with wearing both hats. Can you talk a little bit about Maybe, maybe why you publish? Uh, <laughs> why do you publish? It sounds like a... I mean, yeah. It started by... Um, there were some books by someone who's more or less me um, who I wanted to publish and make up a name, Lawrence and Gibson, to make it sound like it's not me. I think I read on the internet not to call you publishing your own stuff. And I thought no one would publish this book, so I didn't send it out to anyone. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought, hmm, I'll keep writing books and I'll even legitimise this publishing collective by adding my flatmate, Will Dewey. We'll publish his book. And then people really think we're a proper publisher. So it must have been 2007. And then there was another one from another book. We thought, yeah, will it seem even more proper? <laughs> but actually, I mean, I sort of oscillate between hating publishing um, because of the time it takes away from things. Um, I don't know. It's... And loving it on the other hand, yeah. right? And loving the connections and the community we create. Um, but it, it is a lot of work. Sometimes I really like the work, like packaging, because we do the distribution ourselves, because it's really very, very little money in it, unless you're either subsidised by a university to run a press there, or I don't know how else, how <laughs> else you do it. That's why there's so few non-university presses, apart from the real major ones. Yeah, yeah. So we do that ourselves. So sometimes I love just packaging up a book and some cardboard and writing someone's address on it. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. I, yeah, I, I think I really, I'm really interested in this idea and especially the way that you do things here, like the fact that you actually get to touch and, th you know, you actually get to think about the book as an artifact as well as sort of like the book as a sort of abstract idea in our minds as well, which is kind of cool. Um, so you were travelling around Europe and um, then you were sort of at home getting these emails every now and then. Have you start? Did you start anything new while while that was happening? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Just live life and let the book find its own <laughs> life. I think that sounds really great. Um. So then, what happens? So then, I guess one of the things I did want to talk about is the design of the book. Like the cover is quite magnificent, and I'm just wondering. Oh. Um, Murdoch is showing us a photo of mm -hmm. the cover. It's very cool. Um, do you, who wants to talk about that? Who would like to talk about that? Uh, I can. Yeah. Um, I think it didn't start like this. There were like there was like this little drawing I did, um, but it was like real hard to like get onto a cover. Like I think the original cover idea I had, which was yeah, like kind of the thick paint drawing. I don't know. It was hard to get it to work on a book. And then I think I was just going through photos on my computer and then I found this one that I took in Singapore a few years ago. And then, yeah, if you haven't seen the cover, it's like a giant floating baby in the middle <laughs> of a field. Um, and if you read the book, then yeah, you kind of get what it alludes to. 
Yeah. And it is kind of, I mean, this space is so interesting because, like, it has got, it's got, like, the baby to me almost seems classical, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. it almost looks like one of those... Um, Greek. Yeah, Greek or something like that. And then in the background, there's um, quite a modern building as well. Mm. And I, like, I wonder, this may be a stupid question, but I'm wondering about the setting of the novel. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the setting of the novel, I think it's, I never named the city that it's set in, and all the sort of street names from restaurants were just made up. But I think you can definitely read it as Wellington. But mm. I would also like to think that if you weren't familiar with Wellington, you could read it as many different cities around the town, around the world. So, um, so I guess the cover sort of it's kind of floaty, and it's sort of like, yeah, you could almost see it in any field around the world as well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that was the sense I got, um, and I think that there's a really lovely sense to it in that while I was reading those first couple of chapters, I was sort of laying all sorts of different cities on top of cities, you know, like I was sort of like, oh, this is that apartment, and, and mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good choice, especially for the book, you know, the, the way that it is. Yeah. Um, I guess, so where, what, where do you go when you have an image like this, and do you do all the design yourself? Um, so usually with uh, a friend of mine from Uni Days, Paul Neeson, has done a lot of the covers, and mm. a lot, probably four-fifths of Brennavin's ones. Um, I recognise that I'm a bad designer. Um, people have told me, and I've accepted that. Like a very uh, anti-design aesthetic. Um, so I try not to, um, and we were really lucky to have Sharon have that capacity to to have that masters in architecture yes, with, with strings and design. So yeah, as part of that kind of cooperative process, we often will go to the author and be like, do what do you think about art? Do you know anyone who you'd like to use their image or to design it? So I try not to do the design, but I actually like design a lot as well. Mm-hmm. I just I, I guess I'm the only one who likes my own aesthetic. Maybe some other punks do. Because <laughs> yeah. the other thing is that um, the book looks beautiful on the inside as well, and that is always a bit of a mystery to me. Like the idea of how do you go from like a word document to the page, and why why does a book look better than a word document? What so what do you use for that sort of thing? So that's like Adobe InDesign that we use um, to lay out the pages, which is really fun to get to know. And if you know how to use Photoshop, there's a lot of similar aspects. So I often lay out our books, but we did get some funding to do design on this from our friends at Creative New Zealand. (laughs) And so I got Paul to work on that instead of the cover. So I don't know, he designed the inside of one of of the Miros books that just, it's just had a way to just... Now, there's all these things like about what they call widows and orphans about oh. part, like where text shouldn't overhang how you can make words and paragraphs fit in different ways which is kind of like a computer game just making all the text fit in right and not look odd um, but then handing it on to like a professional animator like Paul um, he just it's kind of like if you're cleaning a bathroom in the flat and you go in in the morning and you clean your bathroom and you get rid of all the hair and the, the nasty stuff and then, not knowing that the bathroom's been cleaned, another flatmate comes home and is like, this damn bathroom is messy. And they get rid of all the black mould. And they kind of, there's this iterative process where things get progressively better. Mm. 
And, and I always thought that, like that idea of page layout and that, I always thought that would be the hardest design because all you've got is like words on white paper. And I just think, I think it really is an amazing kind of art, really. Eh? Yeah, I mean, all the font designers, there's yeah. a lot of props out to them. There's a lot of people who specialise in, in what's going to look good in which way. And so much of it comes down to spacing and margins. Mm. This one's a little thinner than some of our other books, so we had to design it around that. All sorts of interesting things just about the ideal shape of the book as well, how it looks when you open it, how thick it is compared to the, um, the other dimensions, the height and, and mm. width. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's just, I, I never look at books the same, you know, because I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but every now and then I have a book that isn't quite right. You know, it's a really weird yeah. experience. It's a really weird experience. Um, I was wondering, I have to go back to this idea of architecture. I'm really sorry, because we shouldn't define people by what they do. But I'm just wondering about this relationship to space. Mm. And, you know, like, do you think that affects your writing at all? Like the architectural yeah. background, um, I think it affects it to, like, to the same degree that anything, sort of like in my life that's happened would affect it, like you know, just as experience. But in actual like formal training, I reckon no, mm. no. Yeah. I would say no. I would yeah. like to say like yes, in a romantic <laughs> sort of blah, 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 blah. And there are like crossovers sometimes in terminology, at least like. You know, in architecture, if you're stuck, you like play with scale, you like use a different technique, um, and that's kind of the same with writing. You can kind of play with scale and stuff. But no, I don't, I think they're quite, yeah, no. Yeah, that's good to hear, because yeah. I always think like there's some special knowledge. Yeah, yeah, maybe there is, but I just don't. It's like <laughs> untapped, it's like in the subconscious, like underneath. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. It might be something that you isn't even realised yeah. yeah if it is it would be at that level mm. I think yeah. mm. can you talk a little bit I just was looking at the cover and it says a novel by Sharon Lamb and I'm just wondering I think when I first met your work it wasn't novelistic really it was mm. it was poetic and shorter sort of little yeah like um, what do you think We how do you think a writer or how do you think you sort of got to the novel? What What is it about the novel that's exciting, do you think? Um, what's exciting? What is exciting? What is exciting? I like the amount of time you get to spend with the characters. Like when you're reading a novel, you get to like really spend time with the characters, like more so than a movie or I guess the TV show is the closest thing, mm. like the amount of time you spend watching a series and the amount of time you spend reading a book. So I really like... Yeah, the relationship that you can build between your characters and the readers. Yeah. Talking about character, like, the the um, the novel centres around quite a strong character. Mm. Um, oh, I don't know, I hate that word because it makes it sound <laughs> like there are non-strong people. Everyone's strong, you know, everybody <laughs> is who they are and completely and totally who they are. Um, can you talk a little bit about the creation of that character? Is it something that, is it someone that arrived fully formed? What, yeah, do you have any thoughts about it? I feel like her action sort of came before she did. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of knew what I wanted my character to do, like in a domestic setting, like I wanted her to eat this and like wear this and say this, but I didn't really 
yeah and then I think from that she grew yeah it's such a great idea thinking of it um, from an outside in mm-hmm. kind of way. That is really, and I think that um, the book's stronger for that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really great. And um, like with, with sort of like the moving around and stuff like that, did you did you feel did you sort of have the plot worked out before you started writing? No, no. awesome. No. <laughs> so how did that come about? So if we go back to that first sort of making of the yep. book, and you've spent a few weeks doing exercises, and then yep. you start on it, and how would you write every day, or how would it work? Oh, it was very like uh, I would just sit down and be like, ah, okay, I guess today she's gonna do this. She might walk into this room and say this, and then. I would just keep adding on to that and then it got to a point where she had done like nothing for quite a while and I was like oh I should probably do something and then I think if there's a fear of yeah if there is a fear it's um I felt a little while I was like jumping the shark at a certain point in the book and I was like hmm. <laughs> if I'm a reader I might be like oh the writer obviously <laughs> ran out of ideas and then did this um, yeah so I might read like that I might not I don't know but that's what ended up happening at least in the writing process yeah <laughs> um the pieces I read there seems to be an element of um uh like internal logic to the book um, that might be different from the reality that we walk around in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder what's what's kind of the purpose of having some of those non-naturalistic, I hate that word, because I mean, you know, yeah, like the, these people that turn out, particularly like the Paula, the other Paula. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what was appealing about that? Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's, fun mm-hmm. as a writer <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm always like daydreaming and spacing out and then it was fun to like put it on paper and like be productive with those daydreams I guess yeah, yeah. and and what do and like what I really like about the book what I read of the book is that this idea that it doesn't seem to be an analogy for anything do you know yeah. what I mean like it yeah. doesn't seem to be yeah. this equals that mm-hmm. you know yeah mm-hmm. so are there books that you are there books that you like that do similar things or are there are they just in general you know are there books that you like yeah um i was reading a lot of uh banana yoshimoto at the time and sometimes she has like some of her books have like a bit of like yeah i guess like what some people it's like surrealism and like some surrealist elements but i also think with banana's books it, yeah it's all about the tone and the mood and like the sentimentality rather than like oh, this person can talk to the dead. Mm. And, or, yeah, so... But it makes the book more enjoyable and it keeps you turning and it's, like, active. But it's not what the focus of the book is about, which I really like. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, Murdoch, that I kind of see those similarities almost with Milk Island and stuff like that, eh? Like, it's a, it's a different kind of version of the world that we're working, walking around in. Rather than a, you know, fantastical mm. version, it feels like a different kind of version. And, like, I mean, I guess that's what's really nice about Lawrence and Gibson as well, is that you do have these very realist books, and then you do have these slightly different books. And I'm wondering, I, mean, I don't know whether, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I'm just wondering, I do think those are both, everything feels like a Lawrence and Gibson book, 
and I'm thinking of some words in my head that might pull them together but do you have thoughts? I don't have a way to pull them together mm. we do we do have some pretty depressing heavy books mm. um, but uh, and we have some very light snarky fun books as well um, yeah and I have been trying to pull two elements together in our dis- in the description, mostly to make the website not not so. <laughs> hey, I designed the website, you know. It's you got a, a problem with the design? <laughs> it's a very good it's, website, right? And see, this is me coming of age as a designer. It's not anti-design. You eventually the world will catch up with you. Yeah. I just have this sense that eventually the world will come no, up. No, I've caught up with the world. Oh, There's okay. like pictures oh. of the books. Yeah. Pictures of the books. Basically, oh. Thomason said, if we're going to publish the next one with you, this website. Oh, nice. Sorry, Tom. No, that's good. I think, you know, our friends, you know, they help us out. Um, I'm wondering how, because this book feels like a lot of the elements, if spoilt, will kind of shift the book a little bit. Like, it'll feel different. And I'm wondering how, like, I'm thinking about the blurb on the back of the book and that sort of thing. I don't know which one of you I'm interested in asking this, but how I will talk to I will talk to Sharon how do you talk about this book without kind of ruining it well not ruining it but you know what I mean like you know like making everyone's like oh (laughs) I kind of lead them up to the point where like some things happened but I pretty much set it up like oh it's a book about this like yeah lazy young woman just kind of just like tottering about and then I think, and then what? Yeah, and she's just kind of bored. And then one day she goes to the supermarket, and then something happens. That's pretty much how I describe it. It's not very, it's not a very good description, but it's like I don't. It's very hard. It's hard to describe a book. I think, especially when you've written it. Yeah. Because yeah. everything seems reductive, eh? Mm. Like I mean, mm-hmm. that's I. I always find that like weird. If I'm ever asked to talk about books, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, it's you know, because it, <laughs> it's strange because when you do start to do that, I find myself slipping into a few cliches. Like yeah. I'm kind of like, you know, oh, it's about a person and they're sort of coming of age, and yeah. no, 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 and it just seems really strange. And yeah. that I always think, you know, what I loved about the blurb and you know the way I've heard you talk about it is this idea that it's what is left out that makes me think, whoa, something is going to happen here. Like yeah. it's really exciting. So. Yeah, and I think it's also tricky because, like, I think with a lot of my favorite books, it's like never about the plot really. Yeah. But when I talk about the book. I always like end up talking about the plot of the book mm-hmm. and it's yeah I always just end up saying oh it's not just bad it's like it's just really good just trust me it's just real good yeah <laughs> because so, yeah, it's so tricky it's mm. so true like I had a friend who used to say that about poetry he would say never um never ask someone what's a poem's about but ask them how it made them feel after they'd read it and I was thinking like I'm interested in that I'm just again imagining you in between your jobs, sitting there going word by word, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How do you know that you're maintaining tone and you're maintaining voice? And do you know what I mean? That the book yeah. isn't warping into something that's different. Yeah, it was really hard. I don't even know. Because especially <laughs> when you're rewriting, sometimes it feels like you're just changing words because it feels like progress. Oh, like, yeah, I've changed this, I've edited this. But was it any better than what was already there? I, I don't know. I yeah, don't it was. Know. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's the editor's job. Is okay, to, cool. Yeah. It was. Because <laughs> I guess that is part of the editor's job, eh? Like you're looking. You are probably one of the people with the with an overall eye of it, eh? Like, yeah. 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 I mean, that's that right. Because as writers, we, we just 
you know, get churned up and, and we have no idea what we're doing at some point. Mm. So you do need that reader. Yeah. And Brennan read through it as well and mm. gave some feedback. Um, oh, sorry, I interrupted and you were saying something good. Oh, I was just saying, you know, there's, there was multiple editors. It's not like I'm sitting atop something, mm. something, some cheer. <laughs> editing oh, away. Editors yeah. cheer. And you had other, did you have other, well, no. I guess going through the program itself. Yeah, yeah, going through the program, I had lots of other eyes. And then, yeah, once I got, yeah, into this process, there were like other eyes and other editors. But in that period where it was like before I felt like it was ready, it was just me and that when that was when all the doubt was like oh what am i changing what is this yeah that was the bit when it was very much question marks everywhere yeah and mm. how does it feel having it be a book now like you launched it last saturday mm. um it's in the window of unity books yeah it's just yeah. sitting there yeah like I saw a puppy it. i walked past <laughs> trying to get up. <laughs> and how does how does that feel real weird real weird yeah like at unity i like i was with a friend and i was like oh can we can we walk past unity and have a look and then we like were standing at the door and we like couldn't see it so then we're like oh we'll go and we'll go and i was like whispering in the shop and i don't know why i was just like oh, look, there it is it's over there <laughs> and i like, took a photo don't scare it yeah i felt like yeah if i stared too long it would, like disappear or something um but yeah it feels very cool but also very weird yeah I found it I found it really strange because it I was surprised when people read it. Like yeah. it had been mine for a long time yeah. and like yeah. I I had someone come up to me that I didn't know and say, Oh, I read your book and I was like, I don't remember giving you permission to read it. It was just weird, <laughs> you know, I was like, You said you could read my book. But I think yeah. what's so great about this process is that you've had quite a lot of say around the the, the way that the artifact looks as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that must be a little you know yeah. like yeah because it is i mean this is what i think so interesting about the idea of a um you know a collective is that it really does become quite a collaborative process eventually you know like it, it, this thing where someone says this and someone says that and then someone makes it look a certain way and that kind of thing um and again you know with the writing and reading stuff i mean writing and publishing stuff that must be kind of interesting yeah i guess like you know, a lot of the time when we talk about Marxism, we talk about exploitation of labour, and that's what people think of most now. But when I was teaching some classes on it, we were looking at alienation and alienation from the things that we produce and the kind of sadness and disassociation that that creates. So for me, the kind of DIY, create it yourself aspect was like therapeutic in that, you know, people. People don't really talk about Marx as a therapeutic writer. But, you know, that idea you're working with this thing, it doesn't just disappear somewhere and then return as this alien object. You know, that's what alienation is, right? Becoming distant from the things that you're close to or should be. So it's kind of a, a nice process of having this, like, staying with it, staying with the, the messiness of it all. Um, you know, I wrote... <laughs> Um, Steve Baronius wanted me to write something about the publishing collective for the spin-off when Bran was shortlisted and I wrote this like oh, 3,000, 4,000 words on alienation and exploitation <laughs> and George Bataille's theory of like potlatch and then he's like nah I kind of just wanted an interview with Bran why he's so cool <laughs> so it's still lurking around somewhere but we have to you know there is there are legitimate you know political philosophy behind why DIY 
is fun. <laughs> and I think I just I just totally like I mean I I totally agree with everything you're saying and I think especially with a book like I mean there is yeah I think that is you know as collaborative as it can be is best you know just because you know there is a weird thing with when you do I mean everyone feels differently about their work but sometimes it's kind of like oh this does feel a little bit like a little bit of me and then mm. the idea that someone would just take it away and run away with it and come yeah. back with it can be really weird yeah yeah like I have no idea how other publishers work but like I feel like this process with Lawrence and Gibson was so good like I saw every step and I was like it's really cool it's just really cool yeah I can't imagine yeah sending it off and then they send it I have no idea how other places work but yeah that seems really scary yeah, like you give birth to something and then they give it back to you when it's like a year old or something. Yeah. That would be weird. That would be. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it. That's exactly what it's yeah. like. <laughs> it's kind of like, we'll, we'll have it back when it's eating and talking. Oh, thank you. That'd be great. I, um, did, um, I did two books last year with different publishers, which mm. was kind of interesting, like an academic publisher in the US, which was terrible, and BW, Bridget Williams' mm, books, mm. which was fantastic. Yeah. But really interesting to see it from that side that's of. Fine. I mean, lo- it can be lovely process still, and it can be lovely just getting a box and being like, oh, it's a book. <laughs> That's an amazing thing um, that I think works really nicely is that there is this cross-pollination between, you know, like people are doing work in different spaces, which is really great. It's really incredible. Um, I was wondering if, like, this is such a heavy question to finish off with, but you've used the word, I think you, did you use the word lazy before? I think so. Yes, yeah. and like this idea of lonely, mm. and I'm just wondering if we could dig into those ideas a little bit yeah. as far as the book goes. It's, yeah. You know, this, um, yeah, just, I, I'm very attracted to the, the figure of kind of the wanderer, you know, mm-hmm. like I think that it's really a productive state to be in and quite an open state to be in. Can you talk about those two ideas in relation to Paula, you know, the lead yeah. character? Yeah, so being lazy. Oh, I don't know. Is she lazy? I feel like she's physically lazy. Mm-hmm. Like physically she's very lazy. And I guess like in terms of lifestyle, I think a lot of people would say she's lazy. Like the fact that she's unemployed and not really too like actively looking for a job a lot of people would say that she's lazy i guess um but i guess that's like sort of like the lazy definition of lazy Hmm. yeah because like she is still like she does she does still make an effort to like um yeah see her friends when she can and like um do the best that she can which i think is not very lazy but i don't know i think when we think about lazy it's often just like couch potato in front of the TV and that's what we consider lazy which isn't false but it's also not the only kind of lazy that you can get yeah Yeah. Mm. and this I'm always interested in a character that is um, I'm, I'm interested in passivity I think that passivity is, mm. is a way to be in the world mm. and I just wonder I those characters are often hard to write mm. or people tell me they're hard to write but I haven't actually found them hard to write myself but do you want to... Was that difficult? No. No? No. Yeah. I don't think so. I think maybe because I'm kind of passive too. So yeah. So maybe it was like, oh yeah, that's like what I know and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, then equally, can we tap into that idea of lonely? Mm. You know, like um, 
to begin with, there's quite a few people around. Yeah. And yeah, yeah do you, could you talk yeah. a little bit about that idea yeah. of lonely? Because I think, um, similar to like the lazy definition, I think when people think of loneliness, like the automatic response is a person who has no friends or has no romantic partner, just just no one who like hangs out with them. But I think there's like a sort of deeper sort of loneliness, which is just disconnect from the world around someone. And you can have plenty of friends and still feel completely lonely. You can still have yeah, a romantic partner and feel completely lonely. And I think, I think that like all humans are really lonely because we're like the only species that sort of killed off every other species and like killed off all the trees and destroyed the earth. And I think whether we're like each aware of it or not I think inside all of us is like a guilt and a loneliness as a species so I think so that's like the very like large meta scale of that loneliness but I think for Paula also she doesn't have much um, there isn't much in her life that she can get purpose from which I also think is a huge part of feeling like you belong like she really doesn't have anything even though she has a few friends she has no real purpose yeah, so I guess that's why I think she's lonely, yeah. Mm. And I just, it never occurred to me before, but I realise now one of the genius things about this, the book, is that um, this disconnection mm. means that, oh, this might be going too far and just tell me if it's a dumb idea, but this disconnection seems to manifest in um, a different type of world. You know, like mm. if, we, if we're living this kind of connected, you know, um, I don't know, at stages in my life I felt like I, I really, you know, am into the people around me mm-hmm. and, you know, like mm-hmm. I have like this, you know, web. But in those times of disconnection I know that the world does, I get to see the world in a slightly different way because of the freeing up of those connections yeah. or something. Yeah, I think so. Because I think in the book especially, she has friends, but she can't really, there's nothing that she can share with her friends, like of value, like they're at different, kind of at different places in their lives and the things that her friends find important, she doesn't and vice versa. So yeah, so when you are out of step with everyone, you kind of go into, yeah, your own out of step and that's when you start seeing the world in a sort of, yeah, a different layer. Mm-hmm. Which is again where my resistance, I think, is is to this idea of naturalistic and non-naturalistic mm-hmm. or realistic and non-realistic. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think there are times when these things will feel real mm-hmm. or are real. You know, mm-hmm. if they feel real, they are real, I suppose. Um, are you going to write, are you writing another book? Can you write another <laughs> book for us, please? <laughs> no, you've just, you know, finished one. We want more, 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 more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, uh, at some point... I'd like to have another go at it, but I think it'll be a while. Yeah, it's quite tiring. Even though it's like you lie down while you write, yeah, it's yeah. still really tiring. I think it's, I always <laughs> wonder if it's the lying down that makes it tough. Oh, like, you know, when the it? body moves, yeah. I don't know, oh, that yeah. sounds like something my PE teacher would tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that I think that's a wonderful thing as well, is not feeling this desperation to start again, you know. Uh, that is really great. And again, I mean, I think it'll just lead to fantastic things. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for having us. Oh, you rock. Yeah. Thanks, Murdoch. Yeah. You rock. Yeah. 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 Yeah.